Hello. Hello. I'm Kenna. And I'm Koal. Welcome back to Diagnosing a Killer. <laughs> coffee edition, because both of our breasts smell like coffee. I know, straight <laughs> up. I was like, it doesn't smell bad, it's just coffee. I might be a little jittery uh, here in a little bit, but I'm not <laughs> talking today as much, yeah. so <laughs> it'll be good. dissected a rat today what in my biology class and it was very weird it's yeah. just like it's weird because it's hard to put myself in the mindset of like oh my god this is an actual critter i'm just kind of like thinking scientifically and mm-hmm. so i'm like oh my god this is so cool like this is the lungs and this is the small intestine tiny baby organs there yeah the liver was actually much larger than i thought it was probably do you think you had a sick rat no i think <laughs> it's just like that it's just much larger than I thought it was about the size of, like, a dollar coin. Was really? Like pretty big for a rat. How litter. big was the rat? It was probably... Like a foot? No, it was, it was like... a big-ass rat. Eight, eight <laughs> inches? Nine inches? Yeah. It was a fat-ass rat. It was a fat-ass rat. <laughs> no, but it was really interesting. Cirrhosis. I opted for that animal because the other two options were a crayfish and a grasshopper, and I fucking hate grasshoppers. It's a crayfish? Like a crawfish, like a big old crawfish. Oh, like a crowded. A crowded. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and what was the other one? A grasshopper. Oh, I that would make me sad. It was like this big. That would make me sad. Well, you can't see this big in the microphone. It was like <laughs> five inches long. Yeah. Anyways, it's for science. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so a little bit something different today. I think you are going to take the reins on this one, and you have your very own case, which I don't know about. So please. I'm so excited. Like- okay, so I was thinking, I was like, what's my topic going to be? And... Of course, we wanted to, you know, keep in the the mental uh, disorder aspect and mm-hmm. things like that. So I was kind of doing some research. But when I was talking about the mental breakdown and we talked about Ed Gein a little bit and how he's inspired, like, horror films and mm-hmm. stuff, I was like, what if I do a case that's that's birthed a franchise, right? A scary movie franchise. Oh, my God. So I won't tell you who it is, but it's you'll Michael figure Myers. <laughs> It's Jason Voorhees. <laughs> so I'm just going to start, and you'll probably catch on, right? Wait, you're not going to say who it is before you start? Ronald DeFeo Jr., who went by Butch, was born to parents Ronald Sr. and Louise DeFeo. So it's Ronald on... McDonald. Yeah, it's Ronald McDonald. <laughs> is it really? No! Oh. <laughs> yeah, Ronald McDonald has birthed a horror flick franchise. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I don't know what you're into. Coffee hasn't kicked in yet. (laughs) (laughs) So on September 26, 1951 in Brooklyn, New York, uh, Butch was born to Ronald Sr. and Luis DeFeo. He was the oldest. He had a sister, Dawn, who was five years younger than him, a sister, Allison, who was 10 years younger than him, a brother, Mark, who was 11 years younger, and then John Matthew, who was 14 years younger. And his parents were busy. So, yes. At the time of the crime that we will discuss, he was 23 years old. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Um, we'll get to their ages at the crime. Yeah. Um, at the date of the crime. But Ronald Sr. was a successful car salesman. He worked for a family dealership that was owned by Luis's father, so okay. his father-in-law. They were considered to be upper middle class, and the DeFeos lived a really comfortable life. So comfortable, in fact, that they decided to move away from the big city in Brooklyn, and they decided to move into a house in a little town called Amityville, Long Island. I see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just give it a second. <laughs> So they moved into Amityville um, in this little township, and the house was right on the water. It included, uh, I think it was like five or six bedrooms, mm-hmm. a boathouse, an attic, uh, basement, of course, and there are, life seemed to be really idyllic on the outside. Yeah. Um, very successful family, seemed to be a very loving family, a big family, affluent. So all that going on, uh, you realize that Ronald Sr. is a man who was a hothead. Okay. Right? That goes without saying yeah. in most of these cases. Verbally abusive to the family. He creates a lot of fights within the family just for fun. 
Okay. Even Louise is a victim of his relentless verbal assaults. He basically ruled with an iron fist at all times. Ew. Butch at this time was a bit of a chunky kid and overweight sometimes. His weight would fluctuate a lot, mm-hmm. so he got bullied a lot during school. Yeah, unfortunately, that does happen. He was also bullied because he kind of had this antisocial type attitude towards people. He was kind of a loner, didn't really talk to people. Mm-hmm. So it kind of just exacerbated that issue. It was easy to pick on him because he didn't really have many friends. The social like construct wasn't really there. Right. So he's basically getting it from every direction. He's mm-hmm. getting it at home. He's getting it at school. He doesn't have a lot of places to turn to. Oh, that's sad. So as Butch got older, he got stronger and he started to stand up for himself. And what's kind of funny about it is the fact that Senior, Ronald Senior, was telling him, why are you letting these kids bully you? You should stand up. You should stand up. You're the you main fight. bully. You should fight. Exactly. And so with Senior, Butch basically started standing up for himself at home against yeah. Senior. Well, you told me to. Dad. Exactly. <laughs> and that's where he learned it from. And so it started becoming physical uh-huh. in the house. He was probably 14, 15, 16 around this time. Uh-huh. What a guy, that uh, Ronald Sr., though, because, like, what the hell? Why would you teach your kids that? Teach your kid to, like, physically fight someone that's bullying you when you're the ultimate bully. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if it was, like, an actual bully situation and the household was great, yeah, I could definitely see, like, hey, if someone's fucking with you, like, come on, you gotta fight back or you gotta defend yourself, but when he's literally the one. (laughs) Right. So, of course, he's learning this at home from senior. He's taking it to school. He's fighting kids all the time at school. So there were some accounts where he would get physical at school because he was learning this at home. At a certain point, the DeFeos, especially Ronald, which is kind of ironic, recognized that Butch really needed help. And specifically, he thought he needed psychiatric help. That is interesting. Right? But why? Because of all the psychological abuse that you exposed him to? I guess that's what it is, is that he realized, like, fuck, maybe I fucked my kid up. And, or I'm fucked up. And it's kind of like, what do they call that? Like projecting? Yeah. And so he's probably projecting that onto Butch. Yeah. So Butch denied that he had any real medical or mental issues. He said, of course, that he recognized the family dynamic was really fucked up, but it really, and it really attributed his behaviors and he, he recognized that. Mm -hmm. But he also didn't think that he deserved to go through therapy. Deserved? Yeah. Not deserved. Not like he didn't think that he was worthy of therapy, but that he... Didn't, like he didn't he, think he thought he... it was a punishment, basically. Oh, I see. So he thinks that he's being punished by going to therapy, not that he's taking therapy away from someone else. He thinks that it's like yes, a negative yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a negative thing. forced to go to therapy. He's being forced to go to therapy, right. and he didn't think that it would benefit him because he knew that his problems stemmed from his parents being shitty, and especially his father being shitty. Well, you can know all those things. I know where all of my mental illness comes from or I'm not diagnosed with anything but I know enough about it to you know logically and knowledgeably say yeah this is probably what's going on but I still need therapy you know right of course and I can benefit from it regardless of if I know what's causing the symptoms or not yeah he definitely attributed a lot of his behaviors to his father and his schoolmates is what he was saying like I know where this comes from I don't need a therapist to tell me basically well also um it's really hard for young young people especially young men to attend therapy and really um you know, benef- try to benefit from, from from it and see it as from an adult perspective. Because, yeah. you know, men are all about, especially, again, young men, they're very impressionable and they've been told their whole lives, you have to be strong, you have to be tough. Right. You can't cry, you can't talk about your feelings, and that's all therapy is. Well, and that's what he's getting from seniors. Seniors yeah. telling him, just, like, nut up and shut up. Like, yeah. Like, deal with it, fight, like, yeah. you know, don't be a pussy, basically. And, and that's a horrible way to raise a young man, in my opinion. Correction, that's not all therapy is, but that is right. a lot of what happens. In yeah, yeah. So, um, this is kind of like, it kind of gave me a a little bit of like a chill when I read this. He would go to therapy and sometimes he wouldn't speak for an entire hour. He would just sit there. I know. Okay. So (laughs) on the surface, that seems really creepy. Yeah. Um, however, it's also been proven that that can be beneficial in and itself. Mm -hmm. Just going and sitting in front of someone that's not going to judge you, that doesn't have any prior knowledge of you. There's not a bias there. That is therapeutic in and itself, but yes, hell But for creepy. him, but for him, it's a protest because he doesn't yeah. want to be there. Yeah, that's true. So he's like, "Well, I'll go because my dad or my mom thinks I need to be there, but I'm not gonna say anything and I'm not gonna talk." Yeah, he's just sitting there, like and he's tightly just sitting there. Like, that's what me. I imagine, like him just sitting on a couch with his arms crossed, just staring at the therapist. Or for nowadays, an hour. just on your phone Ugh. for an hour. <laughs> nowadays, on your phone for an hour, yeah. <laughs> All right, so at this point, Butch is trying not to allow therapy to control him or something at this point. (laughs) 
But the DeFeos are recognizing that he's still struggling and they want to do something to help him. What do they do to help him? I don't know, buy a $14,000 speedboat? What? For him or for the family? For him. For him? For him. How old is he? 15, 16, probably. And they buy him a... A speedboat. Boat. This isn't Wolf of Wall Street, guys. <laughs> Come on. You don't just buy someone a so fucking they boat. start appeasing him with gifts. That is the opposite of what you want to do in this because, situation. Because, they, again, he's aggressive and they think if he's happy, and by monetarily is what they mean, if he's satisfied monetarily, that makes him happy and then therefore he won't be a disruption. All that's doing is rewarding bad behavior. And that's telling him that you can act like this and you'll still get whatever the hell you want. Yep. And that is literally... Recipe for disaster. Right. So they're, again, they're trying to appease him with money. Um, at this point, Ronald Sr., at any point, Butch can just go up to him and say, can I have some money? And he'll give him money. And I'm talking like 100 bucks, 200 bucks. I mean, like goals, but still. Like in, 19, in 1974. Like, that's... <sighs> and you're a teenager. You're in high school. So what are you spending that on? Well, Drugs, perhaps? Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's no surprise after this that Butch's behavior only gets more disturbing, and he becomes really entitled. So in high school, uh, still, uh, Butch began experimenting with LSD. Mm. Mm, psychedelics. And look? by 17, while he's still in high school, he becomes a full-blown heroin addict. Oh, kids do the darndest things, don't they? <laughs> they have kids. access to all this money. <laughs> both those kids. God, that's awful. A full-blown heroin addict. So LSD and heroin. But at the same time, like, that's kind of bizarre to me because LSD isn't exactly like a gateway drug for heroin. It could be for other things, but I feel like LSD's for fun. Heroin's for, like, meh. Yeah. Like, you don't want to have fun <laughs> if you're shooting heroin. I'm well, sorry. Well, but also if he's kind of like a like a depressive person, maybe that's, like, because it's a suppressive drug, right? Yeah, it's like an escape. So, yeah, LSD <laughs> and heroin. That's... And throughout all of this... He begins stealing, which is so bizarre because he gets money every day if yeah, he, he wanted it. he doesn't need to he steal. He doesn't need to steal, but he begins thieving because, I don't know, because he can. Well, also because the substance abuse that he's enduring, or not enduring, putting on himself is probably making him lack those cognitive reasoning abilities yeah. to be like, oh, I should, thou shalt not steal. Right. Like, or I could just ask my dad, no, I'd rather just steal. <laughs> And I guess maybe he didn't want to try to ask his parents for money because he was strung out or something. Maybe he didn't want them to see him or something. Yeah. Or no, you know. Right. So, of course, like, again, like, he's thieving, he's stealing, he's high all the time. Of course, his behavior is becoming more erratic, and eventually he is kicked out of school at age 18. Or at 17, yeah. Okay. He's kicked out of school. This is also because of the just behavioral issues and the violent outbursts. Oh, that sucks, because he was so close to graduating. Yeah. So, of course, uh, Ronald and Louise, this doesn't stop them from rewarding their son's behavior. So, at 18, he's given a job at the dealership, the car dealership that oh Ronald Sr. works for and is owned by their grandfather, right? And you think he's going to show up? Well, no, he doesn't. So yeah, sort of, No, I'm saying they think he's going to oh, you. And not only that, it's not It's not like they just gave him a job, like, entry-level washing cars. He's, like, a fucking manager. And he, like, is in charge of people. An 18-year-old strung out man-child. Heroin addict. <laughs> Heroin that didn't addict. finish high school. Didn't, yeah. And he's just given this position because at least Senior can kind of keep an eye on him. Yeah. Starting to sound like therapy might have been the way to go. <laughs> and so, not only that, but Senior is still giving him an allowance. That's enabling at its finest. Oh, like, yeah. That's absolutely 100% enabling. And maybe at this point, this guy Senior is having like a, uh, a ep epiphany and he's like, oh, I got to, you know, make up for all the shit that I put him through when he was younger, which really yeah. sucks. Um, for both of them, you know, right. because not only is the kid not getting the help he needs, but the dad probably feels way worse, even though he kind of fucking started it. You know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing that, yeah, you're right. That senior probably has a little bit of guilt. And so he's like, well, if I give him a job, at least he's working for the money. Right. Yeah. But again, he's still giving him a weekly allowance. And this is regardless of whether or not he shows up to work. Oh my God. And it, it whenever he shows up to work. This sounds like a bad story waiting to happen. Oh. I mean, it's already a bad story, but... So, at this point, Butch has all of this money, and he pours it into the three things he loves. The car that his daddy bought him. He loves to work on that car. Okay. Drugs, of he course. He loves to work on them drugs. Loves to work on them <laughs> drugs. And his third love is guns. He loves to work on them guns. <laughs> Let him work on them guns. <laughs> that last one's not that weird, but... Yeah. Well... 
It's weird when it pertains to the story. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Sorry, you might need In my phone itself. vibrating. It's Trish. Hi, Trish. So, of course, it's not surprising that his behaviors escalate with the drugs and the money and the guns and all this other stuff. He's on, on extreme highs at this point. It sounds like a rap song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy living the life. <laughs> so, on one occasion, Butch and a group of friends, they all went hunting. And at some point during the hunting trip, Butch is, you know, they're all chatting and stuff like that. And Butch, just as a joke, kind of raises a rifle to a friend, a friend that he's known since childhood. That's not funny. Raises the gun to this boy's head. And the boy is like, kind of like, dude, what are you doing? And moving. And Butch is just following his head with the barrel of the gun. I would have shat myself right there. With a stoic face. Oh my God. He's like, no expression. No joke. He's having like a psychotic break and like, and the friend is like, dude, what the fuck, blah, blah, blah. And he just runs off. And this is in front of a few other boys. Yeah. And they might be laughing or whatever. No, that's the, never funny. The boy runs off. So they finish the hunting trip, him and his friends, and they go back into town after this trip. And they catch up with the boy. And with a very soft-spoken voice, Butch says, why did you leave so soon? Oh, my God. You <laughs> just got all of the heaves. That is so that terrifying? creepy. And this boy remained anonymous. He told this later to the Shit, police, yeah. but he remained anonymous because it scared him. And this is a boy that he's known as his whole childhood. That is terrifying. I literally, guns 101, you never point your gun at something unless you right. are planning to shoot whatever that something right. is. Even if you know it is unloaded mm-hmm. and it's not even a working gun, you never ever point. Like, that's yeah. so Isn't scary. that terrifying? Oh my god, that's ew. The fact ew. that he like followed his head like as it's he a was target. like dipping and diving. It's creepy. Well, good thing that that kid ran. Who <sighs> who knows what would have happened? It's so scary. So again, Ronald and Louise, they like to fight. That's like one of their favorite things ever. <laughs> They're just quirky like that. <laughs> They're just quirky. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so unique. <laughs> They're so like unique. So Ronald and Louise, they fight all the time in the house, and Butch is always subject to this. He's the oldest. He knows what's going on, and he's upstairs in his bedroom one night, and he hears them just going at it. So terrible. And he gets so upset, and he decides that he's going to do something about this. He grabs his 12-gauge shotgun. He has multiple weapons in his room. Like I said, he's like a huge gun aficionado, and he's got knives and stuff. Grabs a 12-gauge shotgun... And loads one shell into the chamber, okay. storms downstairs. So he has a plan with that one shell. There's not two shells. There's two people. <laughs> what are you going for? Puts one shell in the chamber, storms downstairs, and without hesitation lifts the gun up to his father's face. He immediately says, you leave that woman alone. I'm going to kill you, you fat fuck. This is it. And he pulls the trigger. <gasps> he- oh my God. He didn't even give it. Like, oh my God. Oh my God. Go ahead. Ow. Go ahead. (laughs) So, yeah, he immediately pulled the trigger. Did he kill him instantly? The gun did not go off. (gasps) And for reasons unknown, but there was a definite click. My reaction was so genuine and nothing even happened. I know. (laughs) Why did you you lead with that? Because. Buried the lead there. That's the way I I wanted it, though. I wanted you to be like, what? How scary, though, because the dad is probably fuming at this point. The the gun didn't go off, like I said. Mr. DeFeo watches as Butch's face fell in disappointment and then completely stoic again. He lowers the gun, turns around and walks out of the room like nothing happened. And the dad's just like peace? Well, the fight ended. There was no other fighting the rest of the night. I'll say. Yeah. Oh my god, that's terrifying. Isn't that scary? Your son. Your son, like... 18-year-old, nonetheless. <sighs> and there's... A grown... He's a grown-ass kid. I mean, well, he's yeah. a grown-ass man. Like, and he immediately just storms downstairs and raises a fucking shotgun to your face. I mean, at this point, he's probably very concerned for his younger siblings, who are at the youngest seven, I think, at this point, right? Yeah. So, I mean, he's... He's like, fuck this, I'll just be the man of the house. If this guy can't act like a man, and he's gonna treat my mom like that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's terrible, but... Yeah, I think I think John Matthew would have been about six, yeah. I kind of, I don't want to say I get it, but I understand the want to put a stop to that. Yeah. I don't under, think that's the correct way to go about it, but yeah. I understand the, the want to do that. 
So clearly, needless to say, the family dynamic is deteriorating. Oh, thank you for telling me that. I was confused. <laughs> and especially the relationship that Butch had with his father. So, a wild story. Butch, not satisfied with the money that he's making from working at, quote-unquote, working yeah, at the dealership. Yeah, I was dealership. like, maybe because he's not working. And the allowance and all the gifts. Butch decides to hatch a fake robbery plan. Oh, my God. So he basically berated an employee to say, like, for the for the deposits that they were going to deposit in the bank for the entire company. It was $1,800 in cash and $20,000 in checks. Oh, my god! In 1974. That's a That's lot. a lot of money. Yeah. And he convinced the person that usually does it to give him the money to go deposit the money, okay. right? So he had a friend plan this out with him and basically going to rob him at gunpoint. Rob him at gunpoint, quote unquote. I see. Okay, so he's so yeah, he's so Butch is supposed to take the money to the bank. He's supposed to get robbed along the way, and then him and this accomplice would split it. Okay, but Butch didn't think that his word alone would mean anything, mm-hmm. so he convinced another employee to go with him, who was in on it. Okay, but Butch was like, "My dad's not going to believe this. He's going. I'm going to have to have a witness." So that's why he took this other employee yeah. with him. And again, the employee knew about it. That's like unfortunately awkwardly cunning. And yeah. Like, so they they leave, um, and I think they I think it was about like twelve twelve thirty something like that around lunchtime. They don't come back for two more hours. Okay. And which was an unusually long time. I mean, I've deposited money for my old company and it took like 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Well, usually a lot of places choose to bank around the corner because it's convenient. That's true. So two hours, it's like, where's your bank? Like yeah. across the city? I mean, at lunchtime, I could see it taking maybe close to 45 Maybe an hour, minutes, yeah. Maybe an hour, but not two. But two hours was exceptionally long for this yeah. case. And so when Butch comes back with that employee, he immediately told his father, I was robbed. I was at a stoplight. A man came out of one of the cars, held this at gunpoint and stole the money. You would think that Ronald Sr. would say, Butch is in on this, right? I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. But instead he turns to the employee that allowed him to go and berated this man in front of everyone. Oh, that's not his fault. He's like, why would you let him do that? You know he's irresponsible. Why would you make him do this? Yeah. You know, to the employee. Is, but what even if he is irresponsible, what does that have to do with getting robbed? Well, I, that's exactly. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> he he blamed this man for, for basically letting Butch do his job. Wow. Yeah. That's not that guy's fault at all. And this no, poor guy is not so. even in on it, so he can't even be like, it's cool, I'll just get bitched at and then I'll have some money later. Well, and... <laughs> <laughs> you know? But the thing is, is like... I feel like now we've gotten a little close with Butch. We know how Butch is. I mean, yeah. And Butch probably laid into this man and convinced him to give him the money. Yeah. Like, and so... Which he did. But, you know, it's not far-fetched that Butch is an intimidating figure. Yeah. And he, you know, he basically intimidated this guy into giving him all the money. And then, anyways. So the police come, of course. And I guess Butch maybe thought that Maybe the police wouldn't be called since there was a witness or something. But (laughs) like to him, it was a surprise that the police showed up. (laughs) People that deal with criminal cases. (laughs) But I have another witness. (laughs) You don't need to call the cops. (laughs) So the cops came in and of course they started talking to everybody and getting everybody's accounts. And Butch was outside and among the cars and stuff when the police were interviewing him. And he begins to get frustrated when the police ask him why it took so long for him to come back. Uh-huh. And he starts getting more and more and more upset the more that the police ask questions to the because point to where lying. he starts banging his fists on surrounding cars. And they're very suspicious of Butch at this point since he clearly... <laughs> he just doesn't care about the damage he's causing. No. He's like, bam, $100. I can pay for it. Bam, yeah. I can pay for it. He's like the Hulk. It's weird. <laughs> Jesus. So <laughs> So, of course, like I said, they they were having a really difficult time getting anything out of him. They weren't... He was giving very vague descriptions on what this robber looked like. Mm -hmm. And when he started getting really irate, they were like, we'll come back. We'll talk to you another time. Clearly, this was very traumatic for you. So... (laughs) Or so it seems. So, Butch was giving very vague details about the description of the robber. But the police made a deal with him. They said, we'll go for now. But next week, next Friday, will you come in and look up... At, at a lineup of potential suspects. Okay. 
He said, okay. And honestly, at this point, I think it was just kind of a ploy for the police to get him into a room. So he had agreed initially to go, but then backed out the last minute on Friday. He was supposed to go in the morning. And the last minute, he backed out and decided to go to work instead. That's not allowed. The father, senior, he hears about this, and he goes to the dealership to confront Butch Uh as to why he didn't go. And at this point, senior pretty much knows he had something to do with it, with stealing the money. Yeah, I mean, isn't that kind of like evading the police? It is, yeah. And, well, in all honesty, unless Butch is a prime suspect... That's true. He's not Then obligated. he would be obligated. But really, he, yeah, if he's not under suspicion, he has no obligation to go give them any information. Yeah, that's true. But, of course, Senior's pissed because he's like, if you didn't have anything to do with this, why not just go to the police station? Yeah. So Ronald was quoted in saying, you have a monkey on your back. You need help. And Butch got so upset that he stood up and started walking out and he said, you fat prick, I'm going to kill you, as he walked out to his car and then sped off. Okay, now this is twice. One was attempted murder on his dad, and mm-hmm. now he's threatening murder again. Why is his dad still fucking with him? I'd be like, heard, uh, let's get you instituted, because you're clearly not sane, because you're trying to freaking kill me. I don't know if it's, like, this battle of wills. Like, clearly they want their son to shut up, and that's why they pay him off, right? Yeah. I don't know. Is it is it that Senior is so aggressive that he can't admit defeat, and he taught Butch how to do that so Butch can't admit defeat? I don't know. There's something there's something going on there that is not it's healthy like with either one of them. They're two alphas or some yeah. shit. So in the early morning hours of 14th of November, that's my son's birthday, uh-huh. uh, 1974... All the DeFeo family was asleep, except for Butch. Okay. Butch stayed up for hours and hours and hours, and he was sitting in his room, and he knew what he was going to do. Oh, never a good sign. <laughs> so he grabbed a thirty-five Marlin rifle, uh-huh. and he snuck down the hallway to his parents' room, and he was creeping through the house. He opened up the door. He stood at the end of the bed, and... He basically watched them and felt the quiet of the night is the way that he described it. So he's, like, living in this peaceful scenario. They're asleep. He's recognizing this is a they-have-no-idea kind of situation, and then he proceeds to do what? It's almost like he was enjoying the quiet before there was no quiet anymore. Yeah. If that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, no, it doesn't, but the analogy (laughs) makes sense. So Butch raised the rifle and shot his father first. So he was shot once and in, went into his back, through his kidney, and then out his chest was the exit wound. And then he was shot again. It grazed his spinal cord and then was lodged in his neck, and that was the fatal shot. So, well, I mean, if there's any silver lining, usually when you... When a bullet grazes your spinal cord, it paralyzes you, mm-hmm. so maybe that was a little bit... Yeah, and, and it really didn't specify if he had moved or anything like that, um, because I do believe that Senior was found laying on his stomach, so... Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, Louise had woken up, of course. She, before she could even realize what was happening, he shot her twice as well. Oh my gosh. Um, and her wound was, content warning, her wound had shattered her... And shattered her rib cage. Like her sternum? Yeah. It had punctured, it had gone through one of her lungs, and it had completely shattered her sternum. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Why did he shoot her too, though? I thought his dad was the issue, because she would have been pissed if she woke up and I then he guess. killed him? But... Or he would have been caught. Oh, that's yeah. Awful. I, so don't, like, I have no idea. What was this? A few weeks ago, he was defending his mom and willing to kill to make sure that she was safe, and now he's mm-hmm. killing her? That's awful. Yeah. What kind of something has to, like, click in your brain to change? I don't know. I think he was just a very mad person. <laughs> I, I don't know what he thought he mu- what might have happened. So after he had shot his mother um, fatally, he listened for a little bit. That? To determine whether or not anybody else had woken up. It's probably the creepiest part of that whole thing. That yes. is... Um, oh, that is so terrifying. So he waited to see if any of the children would wake up. What, was he going to shoot them too if they came in the room? Oh, Lord. So he exits the room, and he heads into the first bedroom from the room that he just exited. I've not seen the movie, by the way. This is you genuine haven't. questions. Oh, wow. I have not seen okay. the movie. 
If it wasn't <laughs> clear by all of my questions. So he exited the bedroom, and then, of course, in order, he went into the next bedroom. No. And that's um, his brother's room. So they shared a room together. Oh, my God, no. And they were in the the same bedroom in separate beds, separate twin beds. And he stood in between the two beds, and he shot Mark, who was 12 at the time, um, and John Matthew, who was 9 content warning. Mark seemed to have died instantly. But John Matthew, when he was found, there was evidence that he had moved quite a bit after the shots. So he probably didn't die instantly. But his spinal cord had been severed. Because his spinal cord was severed, that meant that he wasn't flailing. He was likely twitching before he passed. Don't like that. Yeah. It's horrible. Um, Especially since he's the baby. Yeah. That's, That's awful. I don't... Okay, I will never understand any of this, but if he waited and listened to see if anybody else had woken up, and then he realized that they hadn't, or they weren't coming in to check anything out, why the fuck didn't he just leave? I think it's because he intended to kill them, but he didn't want them to get the jump on him. He wanted to do it while they were asleep. But it's just so bizarre... he's a coward, so... It's just so bizarre to me that he was willing to kill his dad to protect his family, or so it seems... And now, mm. like, wh- oh my god, this is... I mean, I'm glad that I won't understand that logic, yeah. but, like, this is awful. Okay, keep going. So, again, once he murdered his two brothers, he listened to hear if his sisters woke up, and there were no sounds. So he went to the next bedroom, where his sisters shared a room. When he opened the door, Allison, who was age 13, had heard him come in. Yeah, of course. And she was probably terrified. She probably did hear the shots and she was awake, but she didn't want to freaking move. So when she sat up in the bed, he put the rifle to her face and shot her. Oh my God. And then, of course, Dawn hearing this, she woke up and content warning. Dawn received the worst of the wounds and said that almost um, half of her face was gone. Oh, my God. She received the worst of the wounds, but they both died instantly. Oh, my God. That's all of the kids? Yes. In the house? There are no more children. Okay, thank you. There's just him. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of... You've seen The Killing. Mm-hmm. That... The Killing with, uh... With the redhead lady. Yes. Okay, yeah, that guy's hot. Muriel... Muriel something. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about her partner? Yeah. Oh, his oh, name so is... Oh, so cute. His name is, uh... Joel Kinnaman or something like that. I yeah. Well, name. that guy. That yeah, guy's so cute. He's and he's in Suicide Squad, and I was, like, I all giddy when I watched Suicide Squad, and he was in it. I was like, oh, my God, it's a guy from the killing. <laughs> this reminds me, though, There's they touch on this in this second season, I think. they uh, It's that, that boy from the military academy that goes, he escapes from the military mm-hmm. academy and goes and kills his family. He does it kind of like that. He yeah. kills his parents in their bed, and then he shoots his sisters one by one. I'm like, right. oh, that's awful. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of content that's been written about this murder. Yeah. I mean, all the Amityville horror murders are that way. Um and, and this is just the DeFeo case. Um, there's another case of a family that moves in after the DeFeos. In the same house? Yes. And the same and thing the, happened? And something similar had happened. or Well, in, according to the franchise, the film. Oh, I was like, in real life? But in real life, they use their names. And, yeah. And in the movies, they use this real-life family's name. And they had moved out because they said that they were going crazy. Yeah. That they were hearing voices inside the house. I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like something that would happen after a mass murder. It's creepy. (laughs) So he killed himself after this, right? So the duration of these crimes only lasted 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean... That's how quick it it was. It seems like it, because it seems like as soon as they woke up, he was already... And the only other surviving member of the family was the dog named Shaggy, who had apparently been barking the whole time. He didn't kill the dog. He did not kill the dog. So Shaggy survived. So Butch then turned his attention to creating an alibi. So he decided to go shower. He decided to trim his beard and his hair, which had, which is bizarre because he had always been kind of this scruffy dude. Yeah, kind that's of an, not an alibi man. that's trying to escape. So <laughs> like... he, he got, well, he trimmed it. He did his hair. He did his, he did his hair. He did his makeup. <laughs> he wore uh, nice clothes. And he dressed very well, and he um, basically, like, manscaped and all that. And he took the rifle and um, his bloody clothes and put them in a pillowcase. He took that pillowcase out to his car, 
and he drove back to Brooklyn, New York. All the while, as, while he's getting ready and stuff, his family's just there. Dead, yeah. Drives to Brooklyn, New York, in a suburb that he was familiar with, and threw the evidence into a drainage ditch. All right. Then he drove all the way back to Long Island in Amityville and went to work. On time. For the first time. That's what's going to give him away. I know. <laughs> he's at work. <laughs> I on know. Time for one- he's at work for once, but on time, <laughs> On time. So they're like, left, what yeah. did you do? Something's wrong. So You're the crimes happened at about three, they guessed. And then, so three. 30, 3.15, 3.20, wherever in there. And then he decided to clean up. So when he left the house, it was probably about 4 a.m., he drove to Brooklyn and then drove back for in time for work at 6. So, which I don't think would take... I don't know. I mean, I don't know how... Stymax, how far is Brooklyn to Amityville, Long Island? Yeah, or anybody <laughs> listening, email us. Let us know. We're from the south. Yeah. So however long that would take. And then he went to work at 6. Okay, he, uh, so he's obviously not accounting for the cameras that are catching his car, like the red light this cameras or anything. This is 1974. Oh, you're right. Yeah, this Damn is 1974. Damn it. It was all eyewitness. You know what that sounded like when uh, that girl was, uh, she like did like the piece of bread filter or whatever, and she's like, put me in the toaster, and then her friend was like, but then you'll get eaten. She goes, oh, you're right. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> her eyes look to the sun. Uh, let me see. Or maybe she was a big potato. I don't know. She was something. So, again, Butch, Butch went into work at 6 a.m. And he kind of just, like, putzed around, did some kind of work, and, like, talked to a lot of employees. And he basically was, quote, unquote, waiting for his dad to come into work to kind of give him direction. Ew. And what to do. Ew. So he talked to his co-workers he tried calling the house several times in front of these people he's like i wonder where like, my dad where's is Where's my dad Can't, i have no idea where's my has anybody seen my dad it's very unusual that no one would be picking up the telephone what a fucking narcissist right so around noon he i guess decided that maybe that alibi was only going to go so far so he called his girlfriend who would i didn't do any research on and i feel who are you (laughs) her name was sherry and i feel bad for not googling sherry she probably doesn't want to be associated with that asshole if somebody else does any research on sherry reach out um sherry if you're listening poor sherry sorry oh man yeah i'm sorry sherry i didn't do any research on you i well when i was doing my research it was just kind of all of the sudden now i don't know if it was a girlfriend or just a girl that he had been seeing maybe yeah um it didn't really specify but i mean it said girlfriend but so he called sherry around noon and was like hey babe i'm gonna take the rest of the day off because i don't have anything else to do here my dad never showed up and uh is it cool if i come over and she was like yeah sure that's fine and so she she lived a little bit of a ways away so he's like all right i'm gonna take my time coming over there So he got off work, and then on the drive to Sherry's, he saw a friend that was, like, on the street just walking by, and he rolled down his window, and he chatted with his friend for a while. Oh, establishing that alibi. I was here at this time. Suddenly, this dude. He's like, hey, man, you have the time? (laughs) He asked his buddy. Oh, my name name is Butch DeFeo. What up? Yeah. (laughs) Nice to meet you. You got the time? Yeah. (laughs) So... (laughs) I'm a little lost. Could you show me where I'm at? Yeah. I've been driving around for hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just for hours. By the way, I've been calling my parents' house. Can't yeah. get a hold of them. Got to work on time this morning. Yeah. <laughs> so Butch arrived at Sherry's house around 1.30. He, he casually mentioned that uh, he had phoned the house and that he couldn't get a hold of anybody. Convenient. And that his dad didn't show up to work. Also convenient. He peppered in... <laughs> All of their cars are still in the driveway. This is a quote. All of their cars are still in the driveway, and I've called twice. You didn't go inside, maybe? Okay, well, here's the thing, is that if you left at whenever you claim to have left for work, of course their cars are still in the driveway yeah. because you're waiting for your dad to get to work. Otherwise, if you noticed one of his cars were missing... Then maybe he was at work. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, but it, it almost sounds like he drove by drove his by. house on the way to her house and said, "Look, the cars are in the driveway." But right? why wouldn't you? If you're concerned about your family, why, why wouldn't, wouldn't you go you inside? Stop like, it's what an so, idiot. Yeah, and the fact that he said he called twice when people, multiple people at 
his job had said that he called more than that. He's, they said multiple times. Well, you know what? Not they, a couple times. The thing is, is that when you have a long, elaborate, very specific story, it seems like a lie. So maybe mm-hmm. he's saying it kind of differently in order to make it seem like he's not lying. Like, oh, I called like two or three times. Like, I don't mm-hmm. really remember. Because that's like... You know, when someone's asked that, that's a normal response. You yeah. don't, you might not remember, especially in a moment of crisis, how many times you called. So maybe he's, I mean, I don't want to think that he's that cunning, but maybe he is. Maybe he is. So to further prove this point, he called his own house several times in front of Sherry using her phone. He's like, look, I'm calling. Look, I'm, I'm calling. calling. Nobody's answering. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Operator. Yeah. Hello. Hello. No one's there. Okay. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Nobody's there. <laughs> Guess what I'm answering. Sorry. They're probably still sleeping. <laughs> So, <laughs> seemingly completely unbothered by this, Butch is like, why don't we go shopping for the rest of the day? And Sherry's like, okay. So what they go she... shopping. If I was her, I'd be like, babe, no, like, let's figure out where your family is. But he's trying to make it so casual that it's like a mention. Soup's cash. Soup's cash. Like, you can't alert anyone. <laughs> soup's cash. <laughs> you said that, soup's cash. <laughs> so, but again, he's just trying to pepper in the fact that this is happening kind yeah. of like in the background because he doesn't want to be too abrasive about it that's right? true maybe he's like nah, it's kind of weird but it's kind of weird but maybe they're out for the day but although their cars, cars are... were there maybe they took a bus i don't know <laughs> maybe they got an uber in 1975 <laughs> maybe they took the partridge van there's so many of them so <laughs> the McAllister van <laughs> So they went shopping for a while, and during this process, Butch is like, hey, you know who I haven't seen for a while? My good friend Bobby. You want to go to Bobby's place? And Sherry's like, okay. He's like, let's take all this bleach and cleaning supplies that we just bought at this store. (laughs) (laughs) In plastic bags. (laughs) So so they're they're like, okay, yeah, let's go to Bobby's place. So they went to Bobby's place, and they chatted with Bobby for a while, and Bobby's just like a good friend of his. So now he has multiple people that can attest for his whereabouts. Yeah, absolutely. At least from 6 a.m. to this, whatever time it is. Now. Right, from, yeah, from 6 a.m. to... That's probably like 3 or 4 at this point. Yeah, it has to, well, it has to be like, yeah, probably 3 or 4. You're probably right. So, he's over at Bobby's, and again, he casually men- mentions to Bobby, like, I haven't been able to get a hold of my parents. He said, quote, something's going on over there. All of their cars are in the driveway, and I can't get into the house. I've called twice. If I was their friend, again, the <laughs> girlfriend or the friend, I'd be like, let's go over there. <laughs> Why? Did you not want to walk inside your own house? You want to be in- intrusive? <laughs> the thing is, is like, he's now said for the second time that he's called twice. When he probably called them twice in front of Sherry herself. So it's like, She's like <laughs> hold on. Does this guy not know how to count? Yeah. Does he he's... know the meaning of the word twice? These numbers aren't adding up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so stupid. I've called twice. I've called twice. And honestly, if you're, again, worried about somebody, you think you'd call more than twice. I'd be yeah. like, did you call a third time? Like, yeah. come on. Like, well, I only called twice. I don't want to disturb anyone. It's, well, it's also the 70s. Nobody has cell phones. So if you called twice, maybe they were out in the backyard doing yard work or exactly. something and they didn't hear it. Yeah. And you probably didn't leave a or voicemail. Or just missed the phone. Exactly. It's not like people had caller ID back then. Exactly. So you wouldn't know. That's literally, what an idiot. I don't know. They might have had a machine. So abruptly changing the subject, Butch basically was like, oh, pay no mind to me and my parents' issues. What's going on with you, Bobby? What are you doing tonight? And he's like, well, I plan on going to a bar called Henry's around six if you guys want to come. So Butch is like, yeah, we'll probably do that. We'll probably run around and see some other friends before that. But yeah, we'll meet you there. So that's exactly what him and Sherry did. They bounced around from friend to friend's house. They were doing heroin. They were doing whatever, drinking, smoking, all that good stuff. He's trying to forget. I think so. Or, again, like you said, create a big enough alibi. You're like, oh, he, he was with me all day. I don't know. Sherry, yeah. especially. He was yeah. with me pretty much since he got off work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when before that, he was at work since six. Yeah. So after all that, around six o'clock, Butch finally arrived at Henry's. And when Bobby showed up, he began talking about the concern for his family again. Bobby began talking about it or uh, what's his face did? Butch. When well, yeah, when Bobby finally showed up, Butch started talking oh, about okay. his family again, and he started saying things like, "Well, I guess in order to get into the house, I'm gonna have to break a window," things like that. Because he doesn't he was have a out. key to his front door or a garage door opener. I don't know. I don't know about a garage door opener in seventy in seventy four. I don't know. Okay, I'm gonna stop saying things like modernized. <laughs> 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 all 
these things that we have. <laughs> Why didn't he just turn the Keurig on? I don't understand. You could have just rang the ring. <laughs> yeah. The ring doorbell. Sponsor us. <laughs> Sponsor us. So Bobby was basically like, dude, do what you got to do. Like, if you need to get in the house and you really are that concerned with your family, maybe you should go break a window. Yeah. So he's like, Bob, you know what? You're right. Walks out. Ew. Comes back moments later and says, Bob, you got to help me. Someone has shot my mother and father. Hold on. M- what do you mean by moments later? I-, I don't. It just said moments later when I did the research. <laughs> he, like, <laughs> he walked out, turned, made, did a U-turn. He strolled out the front door and then stopped in his tracks and completely spun around and went right back inside. Bob, you got to help me. <laughs> Somebody shot my mother and father. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny. But... So at this point, a few of the patrons are concerned, like regulars at the bar. Clearly, this is, I guess it's a regular bar to them, especially to Bobby. So Butch, Bobby, Sherry, and a few other people all piled into Butch's car and they drive to the house. So it had, at this point, it's basically been about 15 hours since yeah. the murders have occurred. So upon arrival, Bobby enters the house and he looks around and he goes upstairs and he confirms that there are two people shot in his parents' bedroom. He comes back down and Butch is just, hasn't hasn't stepped inside the house and is just crying outside. Actual tears. Like, well, they said that they, it appeared that he was sobbing. Huh. So he was apparently upset or Keyword distraught. appeared. Appeared. So, again, yeah, apparently grief-stricken. And so he's just in the yard with all of these regulars, and one of the regulars, his name is Joey, uh, I guess it's Yeswit. Joey Yeswit was the one that entered the house, found the phone in, in the kitchen, and dialed 911, and he's the one that made the 911 call. You'd think that, this is just me, I guess, and I don't, I guess I don't know what I would do in this situation, but if I could think that I would be in this situation, and... It was not me that obviously committed the murders. Mm. I would immediately go check to see if my siblings are okay. I wouldn't just run out of the house hysterically sobbing after finding my parents. I'd no, probably he never go walked to... in. That's Well, how does he know that they were shot then? I, I don't know. He That's what he said. He said that his parents had been shot. But he when he, they arrived as a group, yeah. Bobby's the one that went upstairs. Oh, you're saying when Originally, he... when he went oh. in and found them shot, and yeah, then he I came before he went to go get Bobby. Well, it was only moments. He didn't have time. <laughs> because he didn't fucking go over there. <laughs> he didn't look. Yeah. And how far was this bar from the house? Like Well, enough like... to where they piled in Butch's car and drove. So it's not like... I mean, I guess if it's minutes away by driving, maybe. Yeah. But it kind of made it seem like he walked there. I don't know. So either way, there was a group of men, regulars, that were outside of the house consoling Butch while this was happening. Imagine knowing that later that you, like, consoled him after that. A murder. It's him. Yeah. That makes me feel yucky. So again, Joey was the one that called 911. Um, Bobby was the one that originally found the parents. So within 10 minutes, officers were on the scene. And just, again, through that group of men, they found Butch, and they took him inside and sat him on the kitchen table. Sat him on the kitchen table. Sat him at the kitchen table. <laughs> Lifted him up like a toddler. <laughs> yeah. You stand on that table now, son. <laughs> so Officer Kenneth Guguski was one of the first men on the scene and to ask, actually ask Butch any questions. And the first thing that he said to Officer Guguski was, my mother and father are dead. Guguski went upstairs and he found the DeFeos murdered. When he went to the next room, he found Mark and John Matthew as well. So he came back downstairs and he saw Butch, unconsolable, just sobbing at the table. And the officer notified Butch that unfortunately his parents were dead and so were his brothers. He didn't check on the sisters? Butch alerted the officer that, in fact, he also had two sisters. Oh, my God. He was like, well, I also have two sisters. Is that how he said it? Uh, that's what I That's what I think that he said. <laughs> well, I have two sisters. Direct quote. <laughs> Direct quote. <laughs> End quote. So it was at this time that Officer Edwin Tyndall had joined and joined them all inside the house. And together, Guguski and Tyndall went upstairs and they also located the sisters. <sighs> Content warning, the police said when they entered the room, they couldn't tell exactly what had happened to them because their injuries were so severe. Oh, my God. They didn't know what kind of a weapon. They didn't know if they were bludgeoned or not. So it was very 
very obvious that the parents and the brothers had been shot because they had been their their bodies had been pierced. Mm-hmm. So it was very obvious that that's what that was. But the sisters got it in the worst location. That's really interesting. Why? Okay, his mom was asleep. That makes sense. Both of his sisters woke up and then he shot them in the faces. Mm-hmm. That's probably because he didn't want to have to look at their faces afterwards. That Because or... they saw him and they knew it was him. The boys, maybe a little bit different story. One of them was asleep. The other one was kind of half asleep. But the two sisters saw him. Yeah. That's interesting, like, psyche-wise. Like... Well, I don't know. Maybe they, he did that on purpose because he didn't want them to live through it. Or, I don't know. It might be a beauty thing. You know, there's a reason that they say that women never shoot themselves. Yeah. And... I mean, maybe maybe that's part of it. Or maybe it was just because they sat up and this, that's true. you know, the top portion of them was what it was exposed. That's true. When the parents are laying down, I mean, I guess he could have stood over them and shot them in the head. But, yeah. you know, I guess, I guess to him it made sense. That's true. I don't know. Or maybe it's more morbid than that. Maybe he had already done it four times and he wanted to do something different. Yeah. I mean, that's well, I mean, a creepier know. thought. Yeah. But Out of the realm of possibilities, though. Yeah. So this is the detective. It's not just an officer. So he's the first detective to uh-huh. ask uh, Butch any questions. And his name was Gaspar Radazzo. Gaspar's a cool name. I know. Gaspar. Not Casper. Uh-huh. Gaspar. <gasps> Gaspar. <gasps> Gaspar. He was the first to question Butch as a detective. And um, he asked him what he thought, might, who he thought might have done this, to which he replied, a man by the name of Louis Fellini. And it's kind of a weird, like, thing out of there, because you never hear about a Louis Fellini until now. Yeah, and also it's (laughs) like, who did this? Oh, it was this guy. Oh, it was that guy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently this guy had bad blood with the family, and he was a well-known gangster, like a mobster in town. And that he had claimed that two years prior, Fellini had had an argument with him and his father. Fellini was allowed to stay at the house for, like, a few weeks or something like that. And um, with that, Fellini had done some, I guess, work in the basement. Like, he was digging this, uh, what was supposed to be, like, a a hidey hole for family heirlooms Uh and money and stuff like that. So he had said that Fellini was probably the perpetrator because he had bad blood with the family and he wanted to rob them, which was kind of ridiculous because nothing was missing. Uh So at this point... You know, the attention of the neighbors that come around at 7 p.m., people are home by that point from work and stuff. And so there's a crowd that's starting to gather outside. So due to this and the impending danger that Butch must have been in, because Fellini is a mobster and clearly wants to kill the whole family. Yeah, he just happened to be at work when this happened. The police officers convinced him to go downtown and or to the police station. And of course, remember, like if a hitman's looking for him, then Butch is, you know, that he's. He's in danger, and so uh-huh. they convince him of this. So they want to talk to him about the details, and Butch maintained that uh, in his interview that the night, that after a night of not being able to sleep, he went into work early. That's what he maintained, and he, of course, went through the entire alibi. Like, I was with Sherry, we went shopping, uh-huh. I went to Bobby's, and all this stuff, and of course... And they want him to come down to the station because he's in danger, he can't be like, no, I think I'll be okay. Yeah, I'll be fine <laughs> against a mobster that murdered my whole family. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was saying certain things, like, when the when the police pressed him, he was like, well, I do remember waking up at 2 a.m., and I do remember that Mark had his wheelchair in front of the bathroom, which Mark, just sidebar, I was like, wheelchair? That kind of came out, yeah. so I did more research on that, but apparently Mark had, had had sustained a football injury from school. Oh, okay. So he was, which is honestly more horrible, because it's not like this kid could have escaped. He had yeah. a broken leg. Like... It was really sad. So Mark's wheelchair was in the hallway next to the bathroom door. So he's like, oh, my brother must be using the bathroom. So he's like, I know they were at least alive by 2 a.m. because Mark was fine, clearly. He decided he couldn't sleep and had to work work early. Then he described the rest of the day, like I said. So police continued to press Butch, and he stated over and over that Fellini must have been the one that was the perpetrator. Eventually, police would discover that the wounds from the family were that of a 35 Marlin. Yeah. And during their search of the house, remember, he ditched the gun. Yeah. But there was ammunition in his room yeah, that idiot. fit a thirty-five Marlin. What yeah. a freaking idiot. I know. <laughs> Dummy. <God. laughs> and uh, so, yeah, of course, they, they found the ammo matching the gun that was used. And all of Butch's previous behaviors came to light, like his drug use, the stage robbery, and the deteriorating relationship with his father and his family. And, of course, that was all taken into account. They're like, 
So on the morning of the 15th, the very next day, 8.45 a.m., he was arrested. <laughs> Dummy. What a fucking dumbass. <laughs> thank God. I say this every time. Thank God for dumb killers. Because yeah, for that sure. is so... Funny. Like, it's not funny at all what yeah. happened, but the fact. So yeah, that the murders happened. Like, yeah, the murders happened at six. What four a.m. three a.m. on the like morning of the fourteenth. So this was just twenty-seven hours later. Hours later. Yeah, Jesus. yeah, dummy. So of course uh, the police confronted him about the evidence that they had found regarding the ammo, and he continuously lied, telling the police eventually that Fellini had held him at gunpoint and made him do the crimes. Hold on. <laughs> That's not what you were saying last night, bucko. He doesn't care about this Fellini guy. He wants him to go down. He's like, hey, did you know that Fellini died three years ago? Yeah. <laughs> the story's bullshit. Yeah. So, yeah, he said, he said that this guy held him at gunpoint and made him commit the crimes with his own gun. That is literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If this guy's holding him at gunpoint, why didn't he use his own gun? <laughs> why did he use it? Yeah. He's like, he holds Butch at gunpoint, and then he's like, you can use my gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Um, this is just one of the many lies that he tells. Yeah, and that just shows how narcissistic he is. That he thinks that they're just gonna believe that fucking trash ass Yeah. <laughs> After further pressure, Butch eventually admitted in the interrogation that, in fact, he did kill his family. He said, quote, It all started so fast, and once I started, I couldn't stop. It just mm. all went so fast. I don't give a shit at all about yeah. that. So the trial began almost a year later in October of 75, and prosecutors, of course, did not want to lean on the insanity plea. They were not going to do that. So most of his actions leading up to the crime they found were to be completely methodical, like yeah. him trying to go to work, covering it up, all of this stuff, and even stuff before that, like planning the robbery. Yeah. It was all meticulously planned, and it's not like he does something just out of reaction. He plans these things. And not to mention, and no one knows this besides him, because the only other people that were witness to it are not alive anymore, yeah. but he had attempted to kill his dad a few yeah. weeks before. Well, yeah, and it's also noted, that, I mean, that all, through all of this, they basically were like, he's a pathologic, pathological liar, and he loves to evade responsibility. Oh, yeah. That's just, like, one of his favorite things to do, is just do whatever he wants, and then have absolutely no punishment yeah for it. i mean that's and unfortunately that's what he was taught yeah growing up and that's what god rest his parents souls but that's what they enabled him to do yeah so at first throughout the duration of the trial because he was on the stand multiple times apparently defeo claimed that he had that his actions were part of self-defense <coughs> everyone's sleeping he's <laughs> and i'm sorry <laughs> Against a nine-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's self-defense, all right. He claimed Get it, fucked. He claimed that in his family, it was either kill or be killed. And he claimed that him and his, the oldest, oldest sister, Dawn, who was 18 at the time, that they both planned to kill their parents. And that when he went into the room to kill his parents, he did that, but that Dawn had killed the other children. And that when he came into the room, she said that she was going to kill him, too, and so he killed her. What a piece of literal trash on this planet. You not only brutally murdered your little sister and all of the rest of your family, but now you're going to try to blame her for these other murders? On the victim. Literally, go to hell. Yeah. Literally. It's awful. So, of course, like, the jury is shooketh. They're like, man, this guy is... This guy's a lunatic. Like, how do you how do you lie so many times and you think that you're not gonna you think that that makes sense? He's narcissistic as fuck. Yeah. He thinks that any any straw that he can grasp at. Oh, and also not to mention, so your little sister killed all the other children and then she just got back in bed and got under the covers and yeah. then sat upright and then said that she was gonna kill Yeah, get what the fuck? Yeah, no. Where was that her she was gun gonna then? she was gonna kill him or that um Either that or, I mean, maybe he was trying to say that it was, like, a revenge, like, killing. Like, he oh, killed what? her out of revenge. The, that guy, I don't like this guy at all. Yeah. He is not my favorite. So he said, quote, this is on the stand. As far as I'm concerned, if I didn't kill my family, they were going to kill me. And as far as I'm concerned, what I did was self-defense and there was nothing wrong with it. When I got my gun in my hand, there was no doubt in my, man, my mind who I am. I am God. <laughs> I had to make that so quiet because I wanted to yelp yeah. into the microphone. Are you kidding me right now? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Okay. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. And sorry, 
No one's going to believe your stupid ass when you say self-defense when these people were literally asleep. Yeah. So during the trial, a Dr. Harold Zolan uh, attributed DeFeo's behavior to be antisocial personality disorder. So this is a disorder that manifests um, a person's, like, fully aware of their actions. They know the difference between right and wrong. And they're motivated motivated by a self-centered attitude. So really, it's it's kind of weird to say, but, like, they're fully aware of what they're doing, but they kind of just don't care. Yep. And that's it's... Personality yeah. disorders for you. They don't care who they steamroll and they don't care who they hurt. And, like, that's what's so interesting about that disorder. And well, that's what's so scary about it, too. Yeah, of course, because they literally can just, like, leave destruction in their wake. Yeah. And it doesn't affect them emotionally. Yeah. Because personality disorders are so vague is what yeah. the thing is. On Friday, November 21st, 1975, Ronald DeFeo Jr. was found guilty of six counts of second-degree murder. And what? I don't know why second-degree. It didn't really specify what those, what that meant. It might have been um, a plea deal that he took. To, to avoid the death penalty? Yeah. So he was sentenced two weeks later. He was sentenced to 25 years to life for all six counts. That is nothing. Yeah. Um... All of his appeals were denied, the entirety of him living Good. in the, yeah, um, in, in prison. What's interesting about this case, and I didn't even know when I started researching this case, that DeFeo died March 12th, 2021. He just died this year at age 69. And even more intriguing about that, this was in March. The cause of death hasn't been revealed, like it hasn't been released. Huh. And I don't know why. That's really interesting. Since it's March, like, I mean, that's, I mean, at this point, that's like eight I mean, months ago. Sometimes if they suspect foul play, they won't reveal it, but yeah. he's in prison. So foul play was very possible with yeah. other prisoners. But then again, like why? Because <clears throat> usually when they don't reveal that because it has something to do with foul play, that's to keep people from either trying to harm a person that's a you know person of interest or yeah. or to keep them from or to, so that they can still identify the person that may have had something to do with it because then they don't they, they know details of the crime that the media doesn't know or well it does say that he died at the albany medical center and i don't know if that's like a psychiatric medical maybe center got COVID. or maybe that's like an actual hospital i'm not really sure i'd have to google that i hope but, he got yeah. like really deathly sickly ill and like yeah all of his toenails fell off oh and, god like, don't see that the tip of his penis Ooh. was leaking oh the toenail thing <laughs> yeah did you see the toes <laughs> <laughs> so Ugh. yeah that is the story of ronald defeo jr that was and a good one i've never what, heard that before yeah and that's where the amityville franchise came from wow isn't that incredible that is really wild thanks for sharing that seriously that was a really interesting one it's very tragic yeah. i've never heard that of that one before it's pretty intense and i should probably watch that movie because it's yeah. very there's a uh, lot of them movie. but yeah, yeah. So just real quick, antisocial, antisocial personality disorder is a mental disorder in which a person consistently shows no regard for right and wrong and ignores the right and wrong feelings of others. Mm -hmm. uh, people with antisocial personality disorder tend to antagonize, manipulate, or treat others harshly with callous indifference. They show no guilt or remorse for their behaviors. And that's like the, one of the scariest diseases, like I said earlier, because like it's tech, it's in the DSM, it's technically a mental disease, but... Is it really, like, a chemical imbalance that's making these people just, like, complete douche canoes? Or is it, like, they can't help it, they can't help that they don't care? You know I, what I mean? Like, I think it's or are that, they using it, like, oh, well, I have antisocial personality disorder. I do shit. I think it's that nature versus nurture thing again. I think that this is a nurtured behavior that he learned I think so too. to create and, and how to deal with what he was going through. I don't think it's like, like you said, a chemical imbalance. Yeah. I think it's definitely not, it's not nature. It's nurture. Whether or not he was predisposed to getting this disease when he was born, like genetic wise is beside the fact there's, there's plenty of people that are diagnosed with that disorder that do not commit crimes. They yeah. don't kill people. Of course they right. live very normal lives mm -hmm. and they take medication to control it and yeah. to not have those, you know, impulses. So, I mean, I mean, you don't, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it has a lot to do with nurture in this case. Unfortunately, that led to something very horrific. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for sharing. I'm glad yeah. that you got to do your own little case, not little, but your own case. And uh, I'm it was, looking forward like I said, to the next was, one. 
kind of Halloweeny is what I yeah kind of I know for. It I was like oh we're so close to Halloween just in time for spook spook season yeah well I'm actually going to Colorado for Halloween so I'm really excited That's but exciting. um we'll be back I'll be back in time to record so yeah. we won't miss any episodes so and we'll schedule some stuff for you like a mental breakdown should be out on Sunday. Yes, this should be posted. I think you'll be hearing this on Thursday, and then the mental breakdown will be posted on Sunday. Yeah. So that's going to be a good one. So thank you all for listening. Thanks, and guys. In the meantime, while you're waiting for that episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Diagnosing a Killer. You can also follow our Twitter at Killer Diagnosis. We also have our Spotify, which is also Diagnosing a Killer. You can listen on Spotify rather than the here if you'd like, if you like that platform better. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have our Patreon set up. It's patreon.com slash diagnosing a killer. We got our first patron. It's Coel. But <laughs> I'm going to be the second one. I because... would be a hypocrite if I didn't support exactly. us. Exactly. We need to support ourselves. And if you <laughs> feel like you like what we're doing, then maybe you'd like to support us as well. Now Dana's calling me, so we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye.